0: We have been focused for the last few weeks. We have touched on China. We have not spent a lot of time talking about Africa until this morning. We've been t- uh, speaking somewhat on China. And we've been looking at some of the history of the work of the Lord in China. And I had a couple of things uh, briefly I want to share with you this morning as we conclude. Let me just begin by reading a passage from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. And this passage is the parable of the lost sheep. And as I read it, I want to comment on it briefly. It says all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. For some reason, the tax collectors and the sinners, the publicans, were drawn to Jesus. They were drawn to listen to him. It's impossible to communicate a message to people who are not listening. One of the first things that happens as the Lord touches the life of a person to draw that person to himself. It doesn't matter whether it's Africa or China or St. Joseph Island. It has to be a listening heart, a listening spirit. Now these sinners and tax collectors had a listening spirit as they heard the words of Jesus. It says, And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. These would be the religious people of the hour and of the day. And they were complaining when they saw this. And they said, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He fellowships with sinners. And so this precipitated a parable from Jesus. Now the proud religious lawkeepers, the children's Bible calls them the proud religious lawkeepers. Now it's obvious from this they didn't have love for these people, they didn't have compassion for these people. They had a harsh attitude because they were looking for certain externals. And if they didn't see the externals from the lives of people that somehow were acceptable to them, then they excluded those individuals and even they harshly criticized Jesus for wanting to fellowship with them and communicate to them. And so they didn't have the love of God in them. They were religious, but they didn't have the love of God. And they didn't have his compassion. You know, I'd like to share something with you. Just just touch on this this morning. We're going to revisit this thought with you later in more detail, but I can say to you that more recently, for some reason, over the last few months, I've come to see that we have lost sheep, lost sheep. Some of the lost sheep that uh, are members of our family, some of them are our friends, some of them, in some cases, may be our children. And they've gone out from us as they've reached the age of maturity. And some of them have found their way into the wilderness and have become lost. And they need to be found and they need to be recovered. I've been spending a little bit of time considering this. And as I've been considering this, I've been led in the area of, well, we need to cooperate with the authority. Ben read a scripture to us as Jesus gave what we refer to as the Great Commission. But preceding the Great Commission is all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth go ye therefore and so I've been considering this which is repeated various times in the New Testament about the authority that Jesus has all authority and how can I cooperate with him this is the question that I have how can I cooperate with him how can we as believers cooperate with him in order to recover these lost sheep. One of the things that visited my thoughts was this. I said, well, we need to pray. We need to pray, more. We need to get together and pray. And I believe we do. But along with that came this. You're not ready to do that. And I said, what? Not ready to do that. Now... It's not my righteousness, it's not our righteousness that draws people to Jesus. It's his righteousness. But there must be an obedience to him, to walk humbly before him, to walk in fellowship with him. There are many things that we permit in our lives that we ought not to permit in our lives. not a matter of trying to be works, works of our own righteousness, but it's a matter of obedience to him. There are things that we tolerate about ourselves and within ourselves that we ought not to tolerate them. And so I was, uh, just briefly let me say that I have been and found myself being visited with this about the preparation needed in order to enter into a period of time together of effective prayer on on behalf of these individuals who need to be recovered. It says in verse 3, So Jesus told him a parable. He said, What man among you who has one hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And you know, um, I don't want to make more of this than the text makes. But In the parable, I don't find a lot here of asking the sheep for its permission. I don't find a lot of asking the sheep for its permission. Is it okay if I put you on my shoulders and carry you from your lost state? I don't find this in the text. So it's saying, again, when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. This is something exciting. This is something to rejoice over because the lost has been found. The lost has been recovered. And I have gone out into the mountains, into the places, very dangerous places of the world. And I have found its location and I have recovered it and I have put it on my shoulders and I have borne it to a place of safety. This is the work of Jesus. This is, what, this is His work. Uh, we understand ourselves as members of the body of Christ that we are called to cooperate with Him as He does His work. We cooperate with Him as He does His work. But it's imperative that we be obedient to Him and follow Him so that we can properly cooperate with Him as He does His work. And then these words I tell you, he said, in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Let me share something, and I'm going to read a couple of excerpts again from a very well-documented history of the work of the Lord in China. And I want to read just a couple of segments now from the work in Shandong province. Shandong province some of these names places I may not pronounce them accurately but I'm just gonna go ahead and say them you won't know the difference (laughs) because you don't know either so we'll just say them but a great work of the Lord I'm going to read you a few things about the 1920s and especially 1930s the decade of the 1930s in Shandong province in China but before that let me suggest to you this is not a biblical account but I'm going to draw from a biblical account and suggest to you a happening that is very likely to have occurred. And that would be in a place called Damascus, Syria. Damascus. And let me suggest to you that there's a family of believers living in Damascus shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. And they, they know and they believe the gospel and are saved and they live in Damascus. And in their family, they have... It's a Jewish family. And in their family, they have members of their family who are opposed to Jesus as being the Messiah. And they see, it, they see Him as false. And so the members of the family are praying for their son or daughter and without any success. And so they begin to pray for them in a very... Well, intercessory prayer. They begin to intercede on their behalf. Now, someone would have come to them at the time because the same family now has just received information that there is an individual who is attacking the church and doing great harm to the church. And he comes from a faraway place called Tarsus. And his name is Saul. He comes from Tarsus. And he's opposed to the uh, gospel of Jesus Christ and he's oppressing the saints. And if someone would have said to that family, the man who is intended to minister the gospel to your children who are refusing to believe, the one who when he speaks they will listen, his name is Saul and he comes from Tarsus. And you can just imagine how their hearts would fall because they know that that's not likely to happen. That's impossible. That cannot happen. He is the man who is persecuting the church and you're telling me that the only ones, the only one that my children are likely to listen to is this very person who is persecuting us and placing us in prison, men and women, and who was present at the stoning of Stephen? And you're saying that my children must hear the gospel from him? But that's exactly what happened. And it happened over and over and over. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 27, we find Barnabas in Jerusalem, basically standing up for Paul. Saul, Paul, and he's standing up for him and saying, because they weren't going to welcome him into the fellowship in Jerusalem, they believed him to be an imposter still. And Barnabas stood up and said, no, he's not. He has been transformed by the power of the Lord, and he is serving the Lord, and he in Damascus He spoke boldly in the name of Jesus. He spoke boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus after his conversion. And so my sidetrack into a fictionalized account. It's reasonable to assume that there were many sons and perhaps daughters of individuals in Damascus who would hear the gospel and believe as they heard it from Saul of Tarsus. And the reason I say that and share that thought with you this morning is this. There are many individuals right now to look at the exterior of their lives. You would say they would be one of the last persons to ever stand in a pulpit or in a place of serving the Lord. But those are the very individuals who may well be the ones who will be used of the Lord to bring his word in power with great effect to those sheep who are lost including perhaps our sons, our daughters, our loved ones. We need to pray. We need to pray not only for our own, we need need to pray for the work of the Lord to prosper. Again, this is 1930 in Shandong province in China, and this is a work, a great work of the Lord being done through Southern Baptists who had missionaries there. It says, A mighty wind blows on the Southern Baptists at Leyang in eastern Shandong, Church members had backslidden to a desperate state throughout the 1920s, and by 1930 many fellowships were described as dead. A revival meeting was held in December 1930, and from the start the Holy Spirit powerfully manifested His presence in their midst. On December the 3rd, the date of my brother, oldest brother's birthday, eight years later, on December the 3rd a prayer service was held, The meeting began normally with singing and prayer before a Southern Baptist missionary reported, and this is what he said. He said a complete hush possessed the room. There were several of us kneeling in the front of the church. Mr. Lee, our evangelist, had been suffering with hoarseness and he could hardly speak after quite a period of stillness. He began to sing a song. He couldn't speak, but suddenly he could sing. It says, his voice had absolutely no huskiness in it. And I realized that it was something extraordinary and I suddenly cried out, the Holy Spirit has come. Let me just say all of these things, all of these things were bathed in prayer and in intercessory prayer. And in every great revival that has ever occurred in the last 2,000 years, whether it be the Hebrides, wherever it might be, whether it's China, whether it's Wales, It begins with believers uh, being humbled before the Lord and repenting of their transgressions and of the coldness in their lives. It begins with them, always, every place it begins with them. And so he suddenly cried out, the Holy Spirit has come. The next moment, both he and I were hurled down on the floor and could not get up for about two hours. Oh, the rapture and the ecstasy of it. It seemed that I was so full I would burst, and the fire of the Holy Spirit seemed to be burning away everything. Now, When reports of the Shandong revival began filtering back to the Southern Baptist churches across America, many concerns were raised that the movement was merely based on hype and human excitement. The board back in Virginia expressed concern that the missionaries had indulged in Pentecostal excess, They were worried. We can understand that. They were concerned. Dr. Emmy Dodd, then president of the Southern Baptist Convention, decided to visit China to evaluate the movement for himself. Dodd summarized his findings with these words. The so-called Shandong Revival is a spiritual movement of tremendous force, which has been going on in northeast China for more than three years. It corresponds quite markedly to the Welsh revival of the past few decades and to other historic revivals of both biblical and post-biblical times. He said, I heard something of this Shandong revival before leaving America. I had facetiously said to my church, which so generously voted me a 6 month leave of absence, that If I found the Shandong Revival to be anything like the reports I had heard of it, I might never come back. I'm just going to go and stay there. If it is the way it has been reported, he said, I think I'll just go and stay, he said. He said, when I got there and observed and also experienced some of its power, I felt like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. I also felt the more practical and useful thing would be to bring back with me to America as much of the revival spirit as I could and this is what he proceeded to do. This is in the 1930s. I know this same leader of the Southern Baptist Convention was very instrumental in bringing Billy Graham in the 1950s to Shreveport. A very interesting person to read a little bit about him himself. Let me just close a few comments this morning with a few other comments, a few quotations. I'm just going to close and leave you with these. The first one is from Charles Spurgeon, and this is what he said: "It is extraordinary excuse me, it is extraordinary power from God, not talent, that wins the day. It is extraordinary spiritual unction not mental power that we need mental power may gather along a large congregation but only spiritual power will save souls and I say amen it was true when he wrote it and it's true now and then another quote from William Booth you remember William Booth is the founder along with his wife of the Salvation Army he was a Methodist preacher prior to that. And some say once a Methodist preacher, always a Methodist preacher, but that's just my thought with you. But he founded the Salvation Army. Wonderful work. This is what he said, and let me say to you, he he said this in 1899, 1899. And so the 20th century is about to dawn. And he said the principal danger of the 20th century will be A religion without the Holy Spirit, Christians without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and a heaven without hell. Just think about those words. Are they not prophetic? Are they not prophetic? and he's talking about the 20th century which is in our rearview mirror by a few years now is that not precisely in many cases, not all, not all but in many cases that is precisely what has occurred and let me close with this one I said to Ben because I wanted to alert him a little bit on perhaps some of the themes that we have been discussing and how closely they are of course to missionary work and they are all involved in missions and I wanted to say to Ben, I'm not saying these words just because you're here today. I'm thankful you're here, but these are not directed at you personally or, you, or your circumstance, and they're not. But I do believe that they fit in very, very well with the morning. Let me close with a quotation from Adoniram Judson. You're all familiar with Adoniram Judson. He was born in 1788, and he died in 1850. He and his wife both died uh, in the Bay of Bengal, and that will tell you something. They died at the same time in the Bay of Bengal in 1850. He was um, not the first missionary to Burma, but he was the first missionary to Burma who remained, who remained for a substantial amount of time in Burma. But before he entered and embarked on the missionary journey, it would take months in those days Ben, I don't know how many hours it's going to be on your flight to Africa, but it'll be nothing like the amount of time that they spent on, on, uh, on ocean voyages in those years. And when they said goodbye to their loved ones at, at home, they would do so with uh, certainty, perhaps in many cases a certainty, that they may never see them again in this world but with a strong conviction and knowledge that they would see them again at the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what he wrote to his father-in-law, future father-in-law. And then I'll ask Ruth to come as I close with these words. So he wrote to his future father-in-law and he said, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death, and he said, "Can you part with her, knowing this?" And you know what the future father-in-law said. He said, "I place her in the Lord's hands." I trust her to his custody and to his care and keeping. And yes, I can and will part with her. Now I want to share something from my own heart. In 2018, and if you asked me, would you part with your daughter under these circumstances? Knowing the difficulty that my daughter has encountered, I would say, oh Lord, I would part with her gladly and joyously with a song in my heart knowing perhaps I would never see her again if I knew that she was going to a place in the earth to serve you fully and in great victory I would part with her joyfully under those circumstances in contrast to the heartache I now feel. And many of you, I share that because many of you can identify with that thought. We're not putting our children in danger by releasing them to the custody of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are placing our children and loved ones in the safest hands uh, that you could possibly place them. Our thinking needs to be rearranged on a lot of things. This is one of those many things. May the Lord bless you and Ben, and Dina. May the Lord bless you both. And we treasure your presence with us today. And uh, we'll pray for you and definitely uh, support you as the Lord leads us to do so. May the Lord bless you.